business and everything's falling apart and his friends just keep quoting fortune cookie wisdom at him and it's not helping unsurprisingly and he feels like God is against him and one of the few bright spots in the book he's he's just sort of believes for some reason that there must be somebody out there who understands all this somebody out there who could make sense of all of this who could who could set things right between him and God and when that happens we call it redemption uh, there are moments in the Old Testament where people get kidnapped and sold into slavery or, or they, they, just, they don't have any money and they get sold into slavery. And when somebody comes along who's stronger than you and they fight a war and they save you and they set you free, or when somebody comes along and they have more money than you and they pay your debts and they, they release you, when that happens, we call it redemption. When people realize that they've done something hard and horrible and they need to get set right with God and they, they bring an animal to God and they, they kill it, um, it's kind of a symbol for what they owe him. Uh, when that happens, when it covers over their sin, we call that redemption. Uh, when something, you know, you make a series of terrible mistakes and an animal gets out like an ox and it, it kills uh, your neighbor's kid. Or if you make terrible business decisions and you lose all of your money and your house and your shirt and your family is just in horrible debt and you've ruined your whole life and there's nothing you can do to save yourself, but all of those debts just suddenly get forgiven or somebody shows up in that story and they pay all of your debts, we call that redemption. redemption. In the story of Ruth, there's this really rough moment where, where this girl gets married young and she loses the love of her life. He dies. And the whole story is just filled with heartbreak and sorrow and pain. And all of a sudden, a guy named Boaz shows up in the story and it turns into a love story. When that happens, we call it redemption. And when the people of Israel make horrible mistakes. When they ignore God, they go wandering after other guys, they start experiencing the consequences of their sin when they're in misery and pain and darkness, when they get captured by this empire or by that empire, when they live like slaves, when they're oppressed, when things are dark and terrible and hopeless and they're alone, and God shows up in the story, and God starts saving and delivering with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. When God sets these people free, when he gives them a brand new story, we call that redemption. Redemption. That is a beautiful word. And it's so intimately bound up in God's story and who God is. The story of the Old Testament, the story of the New Testament, the story of the God we know in Jesus Christ. It's a crucial word to understanding who you are in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. Now, which is to say that redemption is extremely expensive. You were expensive. Fleming Rutledge, in her book, uh, The Crucifixion, she talks about this. She says, Redemption is not an unfamiliar concept, even in our secular society. Books and films are not infrequently described as having redemptive themes. The word is used with surprising frequency by secular writers. Redemption, in fact, is arguably one of the most popular topics in our culture. Because it lends itself to sentimental resolutions that imply it's readily available and not particularly costly, that it's easy. It's often argued that felons and miscreants, especially of the Wall Street political and corporate classes, should be allowed a chance at redemption even before they feel bad or want to make things right. When the theme is applied to the work of Christ, however, all sentimentality falls away as we contemplate its cost. Redemption is extremely expensive. You were extremely expensive. 
the Apostle Paul, when he talks about sin, most of the time he doesn't talk about forgiveness. That's not the word he chooses. He likes the word redemption. In fact, in one of his letters, there's this sort of catchphrase he keeps using. He says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. It's incredibly expensive to be redeemed. Someone stronger than you has to come and pay a price. Someone who can fix your story when you can't fix it. And this is the way that word works throughout Scripture. And I think we understand that redemption is expensive. I just don't think we always realize that, that that's the thing we're feeling. But, but sometimes in our lives, we, we do notice that there's, there's something we're really trying to do to make ourselves feel better or feel like we're enough. Uh, David Zoll calls this our, our little R religion. Uh, every, not everyone has a big R religion like Christianity or Buddhism. Everyone's got a little R religion, and most people have lots of them. Um, a little R religion is the thing in your life that helps you justify your life. It's the thing in your life that it's the kind of the, the ladder you're trying to climb to wholeness, to enoughness, um, to a sense of kind of the, the things make sense and that I'm okay. And it's not so much necessarily that we're worshiping that thing or we don't think of it that way. It's just we like the way that that thing makes us feel or we, we believe that it could at some point make things right. A big R religion like Christianity would call that Redemption, that's what we're looking for. We don't necessarily think of it that way. But you know people who live most of their lives trying to get their parents' approval. And it's not necessarily to think of that all the time, but it's just, you know, at some, at some level deep down, if I were really thinking about it, it's because I want my parents to like me or to do something they never did or to say something they've never really said. And for some folks, it's just, you know, I'm just really looking forward to getting married. And then when I get married, it's kids. And when I have enough kids, then I'm just, there's something I'm looking for in the love of my family. There's just something, there's some kind of Instagram picture I have somewhere in my head. And I'm just, I'm waiting for that. And when that happens, then, then I'm going to be enough. And there are some folks that when it, it comes to politics, that's their story. When it comes to the way they look at the world, they go, well, I just, I need to, I need to, to be aware enough and awake enough and I need to see the world enough. I need to kind of atone for the sins of my people or for the people around me. And I just, when I can do that, when I'm, when I'm that, then I'll be enough. And for some folks, it's just busyness. There's just this, there's this gap between who I am and who I want to be. But at some point I will accomplish enough. I'll I'll achieve enough. My resume will be big enough. I'll be noticeable enough, and I'll know enough people. And then eventually, you know, I'll I'll get to the person I want to be. I'm here now, but I'll eventually be this kind of a person. And the thing we think that's going to bridge that gap is, well, the little R religion. And the strange thing happens: the more you try, and people try, and maybe you've been trying, the more you find that you're not getting closer. You seem to be getting slightly further away. It's the most counterintuitive thing that ever happens. Because the person we want to be also isn't insecure. And the person we want to be also isn't trying to earn this at some level. They're just confident in who they are. And so no matter how hard we try to bridge this gap, we find ourselves moving further and further away from the person that we know we want to be. And deep down, we feel like we should be. And the answer that our culture will often give is that you just need to move the bar. Just lower the expectation. Just acknowledge, like, I'm, I'm going to live my truth. This is who I'm going to be. And I just, this, this was unrealistic to begin with. And that's really well-intentioned, but cheap. It will not solve the problem. Because the thing is, deep down, 
we already felt it. Nobody's putting on us. Somewhere deep down, we just we know that there must be some kind of expectation. There's some kind of person that I'm supposed to be. And so to say that that gap doesn't exist is to try and believe a lie that ultimately will sort of eat away at you. What we would say in the church is that the only thing that can cover this gap is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can cover that gap is the cross. That's it. The gap between who you are and who you want to be, the cross is the only thing that can get you there. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can get you there. The thing you're sensing deep, deep down is something we call sin. It's a description of the brokenness in humanity and a brokenness in the world. Deep down, that's what we're looking for. We are looking for redemption. We are looking for someone to help us bridge that gap that we can't seem to cross no matter how hard we try. The gap between who we are and who we want to be. And the amazing thing about the story of Jesus, the thing that we absolutely believe, is that for anyone who's in Christ, that gap has already been covered. For anyone who comes to the cross, you will find that Jesus reaches out his arms and says, I love you this much. My blood is more than enough to cover that gap, more than enough to make you into the person you've always meant to be because the thing you're longing for is actually a connection to the God of the universe. The thing deep down that you're longing for is the image of God in you that needs to be restored. You are longing for the blood of Jesus to change your life, to redeem your story. And God loves to redeem. He's been doing it since the beginning. It's all over the Old and the New Testament. That's who our God is. He's a redeemer. It's a beautiful chunk of good news. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. A good translation of trespass, which is an old-timey English word that you probably don't know. <laughs> trespass is a very religious kind of word. A good translation, our failures. That's what we get. Oh, this, the failure to cross this gap. In him we have, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our failures, the, the taking away of our inability to cross that particular divide. It's incredible good news. It talks about the riches of God's grace in Christ. John Ortberg tells a story about being invited to his middle daughter's graduation. And they came to, to watch her graduate, and then they sort of, there was this meeting beforehand the president invited him to and a couple other families to. And he starts talking about these three students who are in the room and the amazing things that they're going to do with their lives. They've already begun doing while in college. And Ortberg figures, well, this is, this is why we're here. And everyone claps and is blown away by these three people and they just sort they start praying for them. And then that's over and they sort of figure, well, now we're going to leave. But that's when things got even more interesting because the president looked at the people and he turned around and he starts looking at each of the students. He looks at each one in the eye. He calls the first one by name and he says this, there's someone you have never seen. You don't even know. He's so moved by what you're going to do with your life, he has decided to pay off your debt. The student owed something like $90,000. Can you imagine? <laughs> and he just started sobbing. And John turned to the next student and said, there's somebody you don't know. You've never seen him. And he's so excited to pay your debt. You don't owe $80,000. And the kid lost it. And then John turned to the third student, who by this point knows what's coming. These are bright kids. And still can't quite believe it, not until he hears the words. And John says, your debt is gone. And he owed $120,000. Orberg said it was one of the most electric moments he'd ever experienced. Everyone in the room was in tears. The message of the Bible is 
pretty straightforward. You have a debt. And Jesus has paid your debt. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood. You don't start with a zero. You start with an A as far as Jesus is concerned. And that, that metaphor breaks down really quickly because it's not something we're trying to earn. It, it's something that's been given to us. It's a gift. In him we have it, redemption. It's ours already. Up until now in Ephesians 1, um, all the verbs have been in the past tense and God has been the subject of all of the verbs. And now all of a sudden it shifts and so that it becomes present tense and we become the subject of the verb. So whereas before God's doing all the action, now in Christ we currently possess something. We have it. It's ours right now. Redemption. Because we belong to Jesus, it belongs to us. We have the thing that deep down we are all longing for. And that's not something we need to earn. It's just ours. I mean, can you imagine having somebody pay all of your student loan debt? Some of us, that would be incredible. Can you imagine that? I mean, I would want to know that guy's name. I would want to go to his house and thank him. I would want to really get to know him. I'd, I'd want to become more like someone that generous. And everyone and anyone I knew, I would make sure people knew that story, knew his name. I would tell people about this rich man who had changed my life, who had set me free into a different kind, different kind of life entirely. I mean, the mistake would be to try and live your life to try and earn back all that money so you could pay him back. That, that wasn't the point of the gift. The point of the gift is that you would go out and live in this brand new kind of freedom because of the riches of this man's grace, that we would experience redemption, that we would live into it each and every day, that we would experience the freedom that's been bought for us already. And I was thinking about the riches of his grace, which is the end of this verse, and I had lots of ideas. And then I started thinking about friends of mine and about one of the Psalms uh, that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I thought about friends of mine who'd come to know Jesus at camps, and they stood up and they said, I'm, I'm a brand new person. It changed last night. I've been redeemed. And I understand it, and I, like, I'm not who I used to be. And I thought of friends who stood at the t front of churches with their knees knocking and, and told their story of how they, they finally come to know Jesus and, and why they're getting baptized. And friends who struggle to, to talk about evangelism with brand new friends who just kind of stumble through it, and they're just trying to talk about how good Jesus is, and they can't even explain it well, but they just want to talk about how good... Jesus has been in their lives. They talk about the riches of his grace, about the power of redemption in their story. And I was thinking about how you never hear what happens 5, 10, 15 years later. You don't get updates on testimonies in the same way. And you guys, you look at my life, and I'm, I'm a pastor, right? And it's this thing where people look at me, and they go, oh, look, Luke knows so much about the Bible. He's, he's very, he's a good person. And my non-Christian friends are just, like, weirded out by me at times. Like, you seem so religious, and you're, like, really into, like, God and, like, really making an impact in, in people's lives. It's really cool, man. And at this point in my life, it's funny. I, when I tell people stories about who I used to be, it sounds like I'm talking about somebody else. Like, there's stories about me that you wouldn't believe. It's just that it would be surprising to you to such a degree, like, that can't be Luke. That's got to be somebody else. That's how strong redemption has been in my life. That's the, the riches of God's grace in my life. Little by little, moment by moment, what's been happening in my story. But there was definitely a season in my life when I would never have wanted to read the Bible. And I would never have stood at the front of the church talking about Jesus. And I was going to marry a girl who was really rich, and that was going to be my life. And it was going to be nice and simple. And we didn't get married. And that is a long story and a hard story and a rough season in my life. And 
my family didn't know what to do and my friends didn't know what to do and I was just alone in darkness and miserable. I was near alcoholism. I wasn't sleeping for months and I'd be up in the middle of the night and I, wasn't, I wouldn't call myself an atheist because I was mad at somebody. And to, to be an atheist would mean I'd be letting somebody off the hook and there was somebody I was furious with. And I would read sometimes in the Bible to try and figure out what had happened to me, even though I didn't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible. And somewhere in the middle of one of the Psalms, I came across Psalm 126, uh, which has words like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And those who go out weeping will come back laughing. And it will be said among all kinds of people, God has done great things for them. God has done great things for us. And I read those words with bitterness because there was no way that was going to be true in my life. And I had a lot of hard years after that, a couple of good ones, but mostly hard ones of heartbreak and pain and loneliness. And I kept reading the Bible in the midst of it, trying to figure out who I was and why and whether or not I believed in God or not. And there was a season where I was so poor I couldn't afford food and so poor I couldn't afford shoes and I was riding my bike in July trying to catch a bus with money I'd stolen to try and pay for the bus ticket and the bus just passed me by and I was furious because it felt like this metaphor for my whole life. And so I'm chasing the bus on my bike and it's three in the afternoon in July and I'm just shouting profanity as I'm chasing this bus on my bike and I have no idea what my plan is because a bus is gonna beat me. And eventually my bike locks up and I'm down in the dirt and I just throw my bike across an intersection. I'm screaming at the sky. And then I had to go about my regular life. And I got back on my bike and I went to work. And I acted like nothing had happened because I didn't have anything else to do than that. <laughs> and I kept spending time with friends who would talk about Jesus. And I kept falling in love with Jesus again. And then one day I met my wife. And I, I didn't notice that I'd been changing. That just it was a surprise. I didn't realize that it had happened. Little by little, moment by moment, I was walking away from those little R's. And little by little, moment by moment, I was walking into this redemption that we've got in Christ. And when I met my wife, I was too cynical to believe that love was really a thing. And I was sitting with my wife saying that. And um, she was my wife at the time. It was just a first date. It was good. Um, and yeah, man, she didn't run away, which was crazy. And we got married and we laughed together for years. And I hadn't laughed for a long time. And we have these... <laughs> we have beautiful children. <laughs> They're a gift in my life. A gift. I'm living proof that God is rich. I get to talk about him. I get to talk about Jesus. And it's incredible. Truly incredible what God has done in my life. And my wife put the first... Gosh, this is annoying. My wife put the first two words of Psalm 126 on my ring to remind me that God had restored me and redeemed me. And I'm telling uh, anything you like about me, 
anything you think is impressive about me is Jesus doing that work in my life. And I know when I say that, nobody believes me, which is further evidence of how rich God is in my life, that I am truly a terrible person, and I was truly lost, and I've been found and redeemed, and it's incredible. And I'm just bearing witness to the riches of God's grace in my life, the power of redemption in my story. And I know that's available in Christ to you today. And if you don't know it, it's available. And if you've been wandering around and wondering if God is real and if he's part of your story, I'm telling you, he can be. And if you get to know Jesus, you'll find that he can change everything. So much so, actually, that some of the most bitter, dark parts of your life, that gap between who you were and, and who you can be, that's the thing that God uses. That's the thing that God transforms. That's what redemption is, that some of the darkest parts of our story become these beautiful things that God uses. He doesn't get rid of them so that they don't ever exist anymore. He changes them so you can go, man, I'm grateful for something I hate. I can't believe that God did that in my story. He just loves to show off. It's obnoxious. Look at what he's done for me in Christ. And when we get to know Jesus, we find that he changes our story like that. That that's what redemption looks like. That gap between who we want to be and, 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 and who we were. That we actually start to see that in the blood of Jesus Christ, it gets redeemed and transformed. And all we can just say is, is that God is rich. And so here's, here's what I want you to do, just for a second. Close your eyes. Um, and if you've, if you've experienced the riches of God's grace, if you would say that God has redeemed you, and only if that's true, if it's not, that's fine. But if it's true, I just, I just want you to clap. And I want you to clap really loudly. And it's, it's just, it's important that we bear witness to what God has done in our lives. And you can open your eyes. And I'll just tell you, that the reason that's important is this. I was in a pit, and I didn't believe that God was good. And it's huge when the redeemed of the Lord say so. When people start talking about what God has done in their lives, there's hope for people who are lost. And if you are lost, I'm telling you, there is hope for you. There are people in this room who have seen that happen in their stories. And one of the reasons we have to talk about Jesus is just because of what he's done in our lives. It would be criminal to stay silent about what he's done in our lives. But the other reason we have to talk about what he's done in our lives is there are people who desperately need redemption. People who are lost. Desperately lost, and I was one of them, so I speak from experience. There are people in this room who are lost, people in your families who are lost in desperate need of the redemption that Jesus brings. Not some cheap version of it, but the real thing where God changes lives. Friends, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me?